This is the Rich Eisen Show. How you doing? Good, Dan. How about you? <laughs> no complaints. No complaints. Uh, That's good. We don't want to hear them anyway, so. <laughs> <laughs> That'll wrap it up for this show. Live from the Rich Eisen Show studio in Los Angeles. That's a fact. <laughs> we don't want to hear the complaints. We don't want to hear Absolutely don't want to hear complaints. Absolutely not. The Rich Eisen Show with guest host Dan Schwartzman. And now, sitting in for Rich... Hit the drop. It's Dan Schwartzman. Hour number three of the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Schwartzman in for Rich on a Tuesday. I'll be back on Thursday and Friday. Brian Weber in for Rich tomorrow. Quick update. Novak Djokovic, he, he like toys with other tennis stars, right? He's facing, what, 10th seeded Yannick Sinner in a quarterfinal match at Wimbledon. The All-England Club loses the first two sets. In fact, looks bad in the second set doing so. 7-5-6-2. And then it's like, all right. Time for me to play. I'm what, done. What was this guy's name? Yannick Sinner. Is he a good boy then? I, do, I don't know. I've got to ask Yannick, are you a sinner or not? It's the Joker versus the Sinner. How about that? There you go. That's pretty good, right? <laughs> so then Djokovic comes back and wins the next three sets. 6-3, 6-2, And surprise, surprise. Top seed in the world moves on to the semifinals of Wimbledon and... Boy, what if we end up with a Djokovic-Nadal final? We've seen that uh, movie a few times as well. It's kind of sad to see Federer not in there as well. You know, he's 40 years old now, but I was, I was always a Roger Federer fan. Always respect. Djokovic kind of like the bad boy, right? Like, Nadal's always like this good guy. Federer's like the great guy. Like, everybody I know who's met him is like, oh, he's the nicest guy ever. He'll... Say hi to you. Know your name. He's like the nicest dude ever. Like, you can never wish wrong on Roger Federer, right? Like, guy has never done anything wrong. And, uh, you know, he's been out with the knee injuries. He does intend to come back. But at 40 years old, he'll probably pull a Serena Williams, get knocked down the first round. You're like, all right, I think it's time. You're done. Djokovic is, what, 34, 35? Still got a few years. Nadal, I mean, he's starting to break down a little bit, but still playing at a high level. And that guy could win the French Open with one leg. Won the damn thing 14 times. Impressive. I, I do like tennis. I got to be honest. I do like tennis. Like, I, like, you know, I can't watch. I, I'm one of those fans. I have to see, like, marquee matchups, right? It's like me with golf. If Tiger's playing, I'll watch Tiger. I'm not watching the rest of the field. I don't care about the rest of the field. I don't care that Scotty Scheffler's the number one ranked golfer in the world. I don't care. I'm a Tiger fan. Tiger be, Tiger's ranked, like, 5,000th in the world. I'll still watch because it's Tiger. The, the 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 unimaginable could happen with Tiger. And with tennis, it's like, give me the marquee matchup. Djokovic plays Nadal at the final of the Australian Open. I'll be up at 3 a.m. and I'll watch it because it's great tennis. All right, the best of the best versus the best of the best. It's like Top Gun at tennis. No offense, like David Goffin playing nine seed Cameron Norrie. Neither guy moves the needle for me. And Serena still moves the needle for me because, you know, you think you're going to see history. She might win that 24th Grand Slam title, which at this point seems like she's not. But you never know. She could put it all together for one tournament and win. Didn't happen, obviously, here. Maybe the U.S. Open. You know, kind of like a home court advantage. Maybe at the U.S. Open coming up uh, in in a month or two, she can shock the world at 40 and win. So Djokovic moves on. Nadal is, I think he plays tomorrow in his quarterfinal match and uh the rest will be history now how's our boy do- doing Kyr- who's that Kyrgios? oh nick Kyrgios, he's in court actually 
That guy is. Uh, that guy is. That was the. That was wild, man. That whole Kyrgios versus uh, um, match against Tsitsipas was wild. That was crazy. I mean, when he's yelling at the uh, chair up, I think he called him dumb. Tsitsipas is hitting the ball into the stands. I mean, that was just complete control was lost. Insanity. That's good stuff. I mean, <laughs> against Tsitsipas, he's arguing with the chair umpire. He accuses his opponent of not having respect. Got a $10,000 fine because he spit in the direction of a, a spectator that was heckling him. I mean, you want to talk about bad boy at tennis, that's the guy. I mean, but he's actually a bad guy, apparently, because, you know, again, he's in court for potentially uh, assaulting his ex-girlfriend. So next month, he's got to show up in court, I think, Australia, for an alleged assault of a former girlfriend last year. So it's some serious stuff here at Nick Kyrgios. I can't root for a guy like that. I mean, I, I like the bad boy of a sport, but one that's not potentially criminally bad, you know? But he is just nuts. I mean, this guy is just nuts. Here's the thing, though. He's actually a really good tennis player. And if he stopped being so emotional on the court, he probably actually would win something, you know? Does it remind you of McEnroe a little bit? No, and I'll tell you why. The difference was this. First of all, I don't think McEnroe was criminally bad, right? Like Kyrgios might be. But McEnroe won a lot. Like McEnroe was, like, number one, right? He was, like, a, a champion, a guy yeah. who won Grand yep. Slams. Nick Kyrgios has not won anything of substance. He's he's always kind of made noise for the wrong reasons, and he's always had incredible talent. It's like Anna, you know, like Kornikova was a really talented women's player. Then once she, you know, got the moniker of being hot and this and that, and was modeling and things like that, she kind of left tennis behind and made money on the modeling side, right, and the page six side of things. Kyrgios is kind of similar in the sense of like he's a really talented player. But he is, um, you know, he's never been, listen, he's, he's the highest he's ever been ranked are at his 13th. He's never advanced past the third round of a tournament in a Grand Slam until this year at Wimbledon. Now, excuse me, the quarterfinals. He got to the quarterfinals of the Australian Open once, and this is his second quarterfinal run at Wimbledon. And he's got to face, I think, Nadal next, so good luck to him. So he's never won anything. He's won six career titles overall. Uh, he wins 63% of his matches. He's good. Not great. So he's more known for being a bad boy of tennis than for his actual play on the court. McEnroe, on the other hand, won a bunch and was legitimately a all-time great tennis player. And that's why I think there's the difference. But yes, in terms of antics on the court, that's the case. Yeah, I mean, you know. If you look at uh, McEnroe, he won Wimbledon three times, won the U.S. Open four times. So he won seven singles titles and was a number one ranked player. So, It looks like he's playing Christian Garin tomorrow morning. Oh, is that? Oh, so he's playing. Wait, so he's playing. Oh, in the quarterffinal match. Then he would, I, I guess, face. Yeah. He would face um, Nadal in the semifinal matchup if it got to that. He's I guess. not going to get that far. I, I, he might. No, no, he could beat this Christian Garin guy. I mean. You know he's unseated. To, uh, he's an unseated player, so he could win that match. No, we'll and the Dolls playing the American, by the way, Taylor Fritz, who's ranked, uh, who's seated eleventh. There's two Americans left, by the way, and in the women's, it's this Amanda Nisimova. I think she's like eighteen or something. You know, she's just turned twenty. She's twenty years old. So I mean, you know, we have an American in there too in the women's division too. So 
you know, listen, I, I get very patriotic when it comes to international things like this, right? So I root for the Americans. So as much as I, I respect Rafa Nadal, I will be rooting for Taylor Fritz tomorrow morning to move on to the semis to potentially face Nick Kyrgios if he beats Christian Garin in the quarterfinal. You like tennis art? Oh, man. Uh, it was Chrissy Everett. Chrissy yeah. Everett when I was growing up. Oh, my gosh. Oh, you're a big fan. Uh, Isn't she with Greg Norman now? She? Oh, wow. I think so. But yeah, she, people, she was on uh, on ESPN. It was part of the coverage. People forget how great she was. I mean, you know how much she won? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she won like, what, like, like 18 Grand Slams or something? I mean, yeah, she won 18... Uh, I mean, unbelievable. She was ranked number one for 260 weeks. When people talk about the greatest female tennis players of all time, everybody's like, oh, Serena this, Serena that. I mean, Chris Everett's in that conversation, too. I mean, she was unbelievable. She almost won 90% of her matches. That's incredible. Let me give you one more tennis fact here before we move on to college football. You know who the greatest female tennis player ever was? It was Take probably the, the, the woman that Chrissy Everett couldn't, couldn't beat, Martina Navratilova? No, you know, that's a good one. No. You know who, to me, was the greatest? Monica Seles. Wow. Yeah. People forget that, you know, when when Monica Seles got stabbed in that match in Germany, she was like 21 years old or something. By the time she was 20 years old, she had won uh, eight Grand Slam titles. Isn't that incredible? Listen to this streak, right? From 1990 to 93. And again, 93 got cut short because I believe she was stabbed in 1993. She had won. Ready for this? She won the French Open in 1990. She won the Australian, French, and U.S. Open in 91. She won the Australian Open, Wimbledon, and the U.S. Open in 92. She had one Australian Open to start in 1993 and then got stabbed. And this is before she turned 20 years old. So when people talk about maybe the greatest uh, streak of greatness... No question for me, Monica Seles was the greatest. I mean, that three- or four-year stretch, she was far and away the greatest tennis player we've ever seen. I mean, in- incredible. She was like 50-1. and one. No joke here, Art. She was like 50-1 and one in Grand Slam uh, tournaments for like a three-year stretch. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, no one, no one's ever done that. No, no offense to Serena Williams. She's had the longevity of it. But no one has been as dominant for a stretch in tennis, I believe, than Monica Seles was until she was stabbed. She was literally 20 years old, or actually maybe, I don't even know if she was 20. I think she was still 19 when she was stabbed by that uh, Steffi Graf fan in Germany. And she, of course, only won once after that. So, you know, we can talk about Serena with 23 Grand Slam titles, Margaret Court with 24. Monica Seles could have won 30 Grand Slam titles. She could have. Now, could have, would have, should have, I get it. But it's an abnormal circumstance when you are literally stabbed on the tennis court by your rival's crazed fan? I'm just saying, if you ever get a chance out there, read up on Monica Seles and what she was as a player. Because if you don't know her history, you will be a- absolutely amazed by her greatness for that short stre- that short stretch of time. Eight Grand Slam singles titles before her 20th birthday. She won the French Open at 16 years old. I mean... All right, I don't think I have to sell Monica Seles to you anymore. Yeah, that's amazing. You don't even think about it, right? Like when you think about the greatness. It's not a name that comes to mind until you hear the actual greatness of this. Yeah, yeah. 
I right, think I we think Billy Jean yeah. King, Martin, Martina yeah. Navratilova, Chris Everett. Because they played a longer period of time. Obviously. Yeah, Monica doesn't really come to mind. Yeah, absolutely. No, because it's so it was a short run. It was it was such a short run, and you know, obviously the circumstance. She was never listen. You know, you get stabbed on a tennis court, you will never feel comfortable again on a tennis court. The psychological, you know, the psychological aspect of it is, she probably kept looking over her back. You know, every time she took the court. And that's why she was never yeah, and successful. she was so young. It, it, yeah, yeah, it made a, it made it it stayed with her. Stayed with her. She only won one Grand Slam title. One Grand Slam title after that, and uh, you know that that's it's 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 terrible. And by the way, I think that guy spent like no time in jail. Like, you know, Europe's very kind of lax when it comes to uh, things like that. And you know, I think he spent very little time in jail and some you know if if any at all. And uh, really a crazy story. And then like Steffi Graf, who obviously was a reason why Monica Seles got stabbed because he was a crazy Steffi Graf fan. Apparently, only visited her in the hospital in Germany once. If you had a chance, someday just read up on it. It's a it's a wild story. That is just a crazy thing where they the uh, women's tennis association wanted to uh, wanted to suspend her ranking at number one while she recovered, and all the other players voted on it. And I think like only one player, like maybe it was like Gabriella Sabatini, voted to do that. Everybody else was like, nah, don't do that. Like let her fall down the rankings. It was like, it's crazy. Like the the, the cat fighting or the infighting amongst. The other tennis players was insanity of what to do in that situation. Man, I mean, I mean you know what? I'm going to go read up on it again after the show. It's really wild. There you go. It is crazy stuff, man. You want to talk about just treating a person wrong after a violent incident? Read how tennis treated Steffi, uh, treated Monica Sellis after she got stabbed. It is crazy. All right, craziness of college football. Forget the NILs, right? Guys making millions of dollars. What, Miami gets some recruit that apparently is going to make like $9.5 million uh, over his career at the University of Miami, and he turned money down, could have made more money elsewhere. I think at the University of Florida, was offered. he was like offered like $11 million in NIL deals. That's the badness of college football in terms of the individual level. But in terms of teams and conferences, USC and UCLA four or five days ago, they jumped to the Big Ten. That will take effect after next year. And that kind of leaves the Pac-12 in limbo. What happens now, right? Like Oregon's a top team. Washington's pretty good. But here's here's the difference. LA is the number two media market in America after New York. USC and UCLA are the two big schools in Los Angeles, okay? They might as well be the pro football teams in that town because they were for a long time until the Rams came back. So for the Big Ten, they wanted to gobble up the Los Angeles media market because there's money in that, and they did it. Congratulations to them. The problem for Oregon is regardless of the fact that they are a good school at football and they have all this Nike money and great facilities – they're not offering you a TV, a, a TV market of substance, right? Portland, Oregon is not a major market. In fact, I don't even think it's a top 30 market or top 25 TV market. So there's not added revenue in terms of television dollars for the Big Ten if they bring in Oregon. And same with Washington. So the fact is, Big Ten doesn't need Oregon and Washington. And they told them as of now we're standing pat because they're waiting to hear back from Notre Dame if Notre Dame wants to join the Big Ten, which, by the way, they should. Because geographically, it makes sense, although with USC and UCLA joining the Big Ten, that throws any sort of geographical conference alignment out of whack. And if Notre Dame goes to the Big Ten, if I'm Clemson, I'm calling up the SEC tomorrow and saying, hey, when can I join? 
right? Clemson is in South Carolina. Clemson belongs in the SEC. It makes sense. And maybe if the SEC wants to take out Vanderbilt because they're only there to keep the GPA up of the conference, but they never win anything, maybe go get Virginia, who's a you know equally as good academic university that I think is a little bit better at football, maybe bring them into the SEC. Potentially, whatever. But again, that's the bottom of the barrel. But you've now gotten a system where you have two power conferences and everybody else. There's no power five. The X-Power, Big 12's a joke, right? Oklahoma and Texas are going to the SEC. That's why the Big 10 had to react and go get teams out of Los Angeles. They needed the market. They needed the marquee teams. USC's a a marquee school. UCLA's along for the ride because of the rivalry and also the LA TV market. So where does that leave the Pac-12, the the Big 12? It's a joke as well, by the way. The ACC's a joke. Where does it leave all of them? You can't call them power conferences anymore. What's the power team of the Big 12? What's the power team outside of Oregon of the Pac-12? Outside of Clemson, what's the power team of the ACC? And again, Clemson should be bolting for the SEC any day now. And Notre Dame should be bolting for the Big 10 to finally be affiliated with a conference. And the ACC is not going to be it, although they play in the ACC for every other sport. And for basketball, you might as well stay in there. I'm just saying it makes absolutely no sense when you break it down and how you have to look at the conference alignments now in college football and what it means for everybody outside the Big Ten and the SEC. All right, when Callaway engineered ChromeSoft to be the best tour ball, it didn't just make the best players better, it made everyone better. Men, women, first-time major winners, repeat major winners, club champions, business golfers, the ChromeSoft family has the best tour performance for every type of performance. Starting with the regular ChromeSoft, which is designed for the widest range of golfers who want better feel, more distance, and incredible forgiveness. But for better players looking for more workability, ChromeSoft X provides excellent spin consistency and tour-level short game control. Finally, ChromeSoft XLS gives you a low Lower spin golf ball on longer shots, firmer feel, but still with high spin around the greens. And now every ChromeSoft is enhanced with precision technology, which uses designed design techniques and manufacturing specifications up to one one thousandth of an inch. This ensures they're the highest quality, most consistent, fastest golf balls possible. When you add it all up, it's actually very simple. ChromeSoft is better for the best and better for everyone. Find out which ChromeSoft is right for you at CallawayGolf.com slash ChromeSoft. All right, a little NFL talk as we are, you know, not long from training camps. OTAs, you had the mandatory mini camps recently. Joe Person from The Athletic, he will join us next. Carolina Panthers, quarterback situation, Baker Mayfield, what's the latest? Dan Schwartzman filling in for Rich Eisen on a Tuesday edition of The Rich Eisen Show. Hey, folks, it's time for the NFL draft, which means for me, I need a good night's sleep because if I don't have one, I'm just not myself. You know the deal. You know exactly how important it is to have quality sleep. It's a game changer for all of us. So Sleep Number helps me. My Sleep Number setting is 60. My wife's setting is 70. We both get a great night's sleep because we could adjust the firmness of our mattress on each side. Improve your quality sleep because Sleep Number learns how you sleep thanks to their smart beds and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
Let's talk game time. Boy, do we love using game time tickets at the Rich Eisen Show. And every single time I've been watching the basketball playoffs on TV, I've been wondering what it would be like to be at these games. And when you choose your tickets on game time, you can see the view from your seat where the court is, where you are in relation to it. And then the all-in prices, that's my favorite feature. The all-in prices makes sure that you see the lowest price guarantee and also know exactly how much everything costs costs all in before you purchase. So all the guesswork is removed when you buy playoff tickets with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account and use my code RICH for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Visit gametime.co for restrictions. Again, create an account, redeem my code RICH for $20 off your first purchase. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. 23 past the hour. It is hour three of the Rich Eisen Show on a Tuesday. Dan Schwartzman in for Rich. NFL mandatory minicamps happened last week. We're not that far off from training camp. The countdown has begun. You know, the NFL is now a 365-day-a-year sport to follow. You got the season, the postseason, combine, draft, free agency, OTAs, minicamps. Next thing you know, it is training camp, exhibition games. And then back to the regular season. They do a great job of it. Hence, they are the number one revenued sport in the entire world in terms of the league. What's going on? The latest, our buddy Joe Person from The Athletic joining us. And uh, Joe, you, of course, are based in Carolina. I want to get to the quarterback situation with the Panthers. What's the latest there? I mean, is Sam Darnold the projected starter? Or are they still trying to figure out a way financially to bring in Baker Mayfield? Yeah, I think that's still pending, which is, is pretty incredible, as as you said, Dan. Like they report in three weeks. They they report Tuesday, July twenty sixth, and here, yeah, yes. The the bottom line is the short answer: they are still interested, at least some in the building, at the right price. And I, I think Matt Rule is among those who would like to seek a a quarterback upgrade. I mean, they. Listen, they've made no bones about it, right? They were in on Deshaun Watson. Um, they were linked to just about every quarterback in the draft. They took a quarterback in the draft in the third round in the person of uh, Matt Corral out of Ole Miss. And they've been continued to be linked to, to Baker Mayfield, to a lesser degree, Jimmy Garoppolo. And I think if it were up to rule, this would already be done. Um, but... You know, I think the owner, David Tepper, despite being worth um, $16.7 billion, it's like, <laughs> you know, we're already paying Sam Darnold $18.8 million on that fifth-year option. Somebody convinced me, David Tepper, that Baker Mayfield is that big of an upgrade over Sam Darnold, or, if, or even if he's just a marginal upgrade, Let's figure out a way where I'm, we're not paying two guys $18.8 million bucks. And so do the Browns get a little more cooperative and drop their price as we get inch closer to, to training camp? You know, maybe. I don't know. You know, it's been a game of chicken now dating back to around the draft night. I mean, these two teams, second night of the draft, the night they took Matt Corral, the Panthers, these two teams were in pretty serious talks then, or at least, you know, somewhat serious talks for Baker that night. So 
it, it, who's going to blink first, or does another team sneak in and then grab Baker, and, and then the Panthers, you know, then they do play with either Sam Darnold or potentially, you know, pivot to Jimmy Garoppolo. But it, it it's, remains a pending situation. Yes, yeah, Seattle could obviously hop in and, and take uh, Baker Mayfield. They need a quarterback. Now, if you want, give me David Tepper's number. I'm a lifelong depressed Jets fan, so I can make the argument to him that anybody is an upgrade over Sam Darnold. And if you want to join in on the conference call, Joe, you're more than welcome. You watched him last year, and after that third week, he literally just fell apart the way he did in New York. So if you're up for it, we can call Tepper and we can make the argument. You in? Well, absolutely. I, I'm always good. <laughs> billionaire owner um yeah so here's the thing sam darnold by any measure did not play well last year or the last several years to to your point i think the the thinking is again i've I've, I've, you know again to to be clear i think uh matt rule and general manager scott bitter are are up for exploring an upgrade so to be clear however if they do have to tee it up with Sam Darnold, I think the hope is it's kind of based on two things. They have improvements along their offensive line. Uh, bringing in from the Rams, Austin Corbett, starting right guard. Uh, from the Ravens, Bradley Bozeman, who will compete at center and probably start. And then signing, or excuse me, drafting Icky Aquanu out of NC State, number six overall, yeah. to play left tackle. So, I think that's one part of it. And then two, as or maybe more importantly, the hope that Christian McCaffrey can stay healthy and give Sam Darnold a safety valve and a pretty dynamic weapon in the run game and the passing game for more than the, you know, seven games he played last year, the seven or ten games he played last year. So that's the hope, and we'll see. Joe Person from The Athletic joining us here on the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Schwartzman in for Rich. Uh, you're coming back from the Washington, D.C. area. I want to head there real quick. The Lamar Jackson contract situation. How do you view this, right? Lamar Jackson is an MVP. He's won the award, had a great season. He's also a guy that is such a threat with the legs, but he's taken a lot of hits. And the question is, can he be sustainable as a starting quarterback if the running threat leaves him, where he has to be more of a pocket passer Questions that the team has to weigh as they decide on a long-term contract. Joe, if you were running the Baltimore Ravens, what would you, what would you do in this situation with Lamar Jackson? Pay him a fortune, or would you be skeptical? You know, it's a fascinating debate, and I have not covered those negotiations very closely, to be quite honest. But I did cover for his entire uh, NFL career, with the exception of his one year in New England, Cam Newton's career. And I saw a guy who was a who was just a unique one, a generational playmaker, both with his, both with his arm and with his feet. And interestingly and ironically, in Cam's case, his arm went before the feet, and that was as a result of of, of you know you can't separate him right, like because of the way he played. You know, Cam had ankle surgeries. He had a couple of shoulder surgeries. And by the time he left here, sadly, he was not the same quarterback, nor was he when the Panthers brought him back late last season. And and I give Cam and Lamar Jackson a ton of credit because, like, they don't, they don't want to change the way they play. Like, that, that was the theme. These same questions were asked of Cam back in the day. 
And his famous quote was, what are you going to do? Ask a lion not to roar? Like, I am this <laughs> type A personality. I am the alpha. I'm not going to start, you know, running out of bounds. And, you know, he could he have prolonged his career some? Yeah, I don't know. Like, he the, the big hit, the, his last big hit on his shoulder came in a Thursday night game at Pittsburgh when T.J. Watt barreled into him and Cam never saw him coming. And so, I mean, like, you can't prevent that. I mean, so not all the running out of bounds at the end of a scramble is not going to prevent everything. So it's the same kind of debate with, with the Ravens. Uh, you know, I don't know. I, Lamar has meant so much to that franchise, but it, it, it's, I understand why these conversations are certainly taking place. You know, Joe, wide receivers are getting paid boatloads of money now. That position in a passing league has taken on even more importance. What's your thoughts on the amount of money being, you know, really shelled out to the A.J. Browns, the Terry McLaurins who just signed a massive deal? Uh, you know, obviously D.K. Metcalf's going to be next in line to get a massive deal as well. Is this something where teams are breaking the bank for a position where literally in a draft you can find good wide receivers, right? McLaurin was a third-round pick. A.J. Brown was a second-round pick. D.K. was a second-round pick. Are you a guy that looks at this and says, yeah, break the bank for these guys, or, man, you're hurting yourself? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, this this is like the diplomatic, uh, dopey diplomatic answer, but the Panthers, and I'm not saying D.J. Moore is necessarily the same player as, as a Metcalf or a McLaurin, but he's pretty darn good. DJ Moore on some winning teams, I think, would be getting Pro Bowl run. He's had three consecutive 1,100-yard receiving seasons, all of which I say that to point out that the Panthers just gave DJ Moore an extension. That was good, solid money, but it wasn't, as you said, break the bank, crazy money. How are we going to fit this under the, the salary cap money? And so, you know, is there a way to do it? I mean, Teams draft a lot of receivers in the third and fourth round every year, and they don't all end up coming out looking like and performing like DK Metcalf. So I would lean towards in a passing league, as we know it has been for quite some time now, I think I'm paying these guys if you find one you really like and you trust. And a guy that obviously did break the bank, Devontae Adams, he's now with the Las Vegas Raiders and his college quarterback, Derek Carr. His name has been debated recently because some people have said, hey, don't expect him to do what he did with Aaron Rodgers, at quarterback, who's one of the greatest in the history of football. Then now with Derek Carr, obviously, who's not in the same category. Do you think Devontae has somewhat of a letdown a bit? Or do you think because of his familiarity with Derek Carr, we're going to see the 1,500 yards that we've gotten accustomed to seeing out of him? I think he's going to have a big year. I, I don't. I don't see a big drop off with him. I understand. I, I understand the, the question. I. I remember Devon. I, I forget what draft year it was, but the Panthers had kicked the tires on Devontae Adams. It might have been the year, frankly, they they drafted Kelvin Benjamin. But um, uh, I'm traveling, so I don't have it in front of me. Sorry. Point is, I like Devontae Adams. I think. He's going to uh, – I think he's going to be just fine, especially, as you said, the familiarity with Carr and their background. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I know Derek Carr is a guy, too, and he ended up re-signing. But, like, I started hearing around that when all the quarterback musical chairs had been happening the last few off seasons, 
he was a guy whose name Derek Carr I would hear from a lot of different teams and 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 personnel types in this league that like hey if if he you know if he ever became available you know I think he's Again, I, I, he hasn't gone and, and played in a Super Bowl or anything like that yet. I get it, but well respected around the league, and I think for good reason. All right, you are correct, by the way. Uh, Kelvin Benjamin picked twenty eighth overall by Carolina. Now, the good news for you guys in Carolina, it wasn't as if Devonte Adams was the next receiver to go off the board. Legendary names such as Marquise Lee. Jordan Matthews and Paul Richardson were kind of uh, in between Kelvin Benjamin and yeah. Devontae Adams, who went 53rd overall. So, you know, we can yeah, at least play that. Game. I, I, I appreciate that. I haven't, you know, I haven't forgotten everything I, I once learned and knew. But <laughs> yeah, Devontae, I was that was a, a pretty good draft for receivers. I think again, the Panthers were picking late that year, back when Ron Rivera had them going to the, the playoffs quite a bit, three years in a row. And uh, you know, and Benjamin, they were looking for. I know. Uh, can't, we. Uh, I know this is not what you asked me about. Called me today. It's to okay. Talk it's about fine. <laughs> but he, uh, they were looking for a bigger type receiver. Like a, a Dave Gettleman was here as GM at the time, and uh, you know, obviously Benjamin. He, he had a couple good years, and then got hurt, struggled with his weight, and. Uh, you know, it, it obviously did not pan out super well uh, for the Panthers, uh, Benjamin over Devontae Adams. No, and neither for the three other wide receivers that are sandwiched between them. Last question for you. You know, the AFC West is really good with obviously the Chiefs, the Raiders, the Chargers, and the Broncos bring in Russell Wilson. Now, are you a believer in Russell Wilson taking the Broncos to that next level where they're going to be right up there with the Chiefs? Or do you think that potentially, even with the addition of a future Hall of Fame quarterback, we're still looking at a third-place team in the AFC West? Yeah, I'm I'd probably a little more skeptical on, on them becoming instant Super Bowl contenders. I, I, I think he's going to raise their level, of course. And, you know, that, that defense, I know they're trying to, you know, rebuild it. Not rebuild there, but kind of tweak some things there. Um, it's such a good division. I mean, I, again, like that's, it's like, there's a couple other teams are going to make the playoffs. And I think the AFC West is, is, I mean, what a quarterback division. I am huge. like everybody else. Uh, right. I mean, I, 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 I think, I think the quarterback play in that division is, is so good. Um, I'm trying to think. Panthers, I don't, don't – again, I don't have the schedule in front of me, but I think I, – I will tell you this, and I, I don't mean to make everything a Panthers conversation, okay. but that is the team I cover. Um, they were when, – when I mentioned them being in on so many quarterbacks this offseason. Their general manager, Scott Fitter, Panthers general manager, spent like two decades, 20 years in Seattle – and so even though it looked like Russell Wilson was going to end up in Denver this offseason, Bitter did call the, you know, pick up the phone and, and, and call uh, his, his old boss Schneider in Seattle just to see, hey, could we at least let me ask about Russell Wilson in Carolina where Russell played at, for three seasons at NC State before transferring to Wisconsin. But at that point, 
Schneider told Fitter, no, this is where Russell wants to go. And this, this is pretty far down that path already. Well, you do not face AFC West this year. The Carolina Panthers, they will be facing the AFC North, playing Cleveland, uh, Cincy, Baltimore. Uh, actually, they are playing Denver on uh, Week 12. So that's will be fun. I, that's what I was trying to remember. It's that set, basically, that's that 17th game. And they yep. drew they drew Denver, so Russell Wilson will be coming back to the Carolinas uh, <laughs> on the visitor side. And ironically enough, after the bye week, they're facing Seattle. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, honest, I, I mentioned that Ron Rivera era uh, here in Charlotte, and that that, that became an interesting cross country rivalry back then. The Panthers in Seattle, they were playing. It, just the way the schedules fell, they were playing a lot in the regular season. They played a couple times in the postseason, and they were really fantastic games back when the Panthers obviously had Cam Newton, but Luke Keekley and it took them a while to get over that hump. And when they beat Seattle halfway through the 2015 season, that was sort of the, the feather in the cap, and they, they went from there and, and you know went 15 and one and went to the yeah. Super Bowl. The magical season. Joe Person of the Athletic covers the Carolina Panthers. Joe, safe travels, my friend. Appreciate you hopping on the show. All right, Dan. Have a good week, man. Great stuff, Joe Person. Yeah, that was a magical season. Fifteen and one. Went to the Super Bowl. They lost in the Super Bowl, but Cam Newton's MVP season for that one year, he put it all together. I mean, literally put it all together. Had like thirty-six touchdowns, like ten interceptions, rushed for a bunch of yards, rushed for a bunch of rushing time. I mean, you know. That was one of the great seasons a quarterback's had. What's interesting is, you know, when people talk about Cam Newton and his greatness or lack of whatever you want to look at, that one season he had is the one that stands out. Every other year, it's like 24 touchdowns, 13 interceptions, great running quarterback. Never quite put it together passing-wise the way he did for just that one season where they went 15-1. and one. Amazing. Really was amazing. But uh, wide receivers getting all that money. Man, good for them. Listen, I'm not going to begrudge any player for getting paid. Short careers in the NFL. Make that money when you can. Absolutely. More NFL talk. Wrapping things up on a Tuesday. Dan Schwartzman in for Rich. It is the Rich Eisen Show. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about... How to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Wrapping up a Tuesday edition of the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Schwartzman in for Rich. I will be in Thursday and Friday as well. Brian Weber in tomorrow for Rich. Wrapping things up, a little NFL talk with Joe Person from The Athletic. Appreciate him hopping on the show. 
in transit especially. And like we almost lost him there a couple of times. I was like, oh my goodness, we're going to lose him. And I hate that. And then boom, reappeared. Like the heavens opened up and Joe was back. You saw that art? I was like, ah, oh, should I say something? You know? Yeah, I was, I was scrambling to get his phone number. Yeah, and then he came back. Boom. Just like, voice from the heavens. Our buddy Joe Person. Great stuff from him. My take on the Lamar Jackson is this. All right, really, it's simple. I think Lamar's a good quarterback. I don't think he's great. I think he's a good quarterback. And the legs are what make him great. You stick him in the pocket, he's an average quarterback. Kind of like Kyler Murray, very similar. And when I don't think that long-term the guy can really play effective football at the position because I think his skill set does not lead to a lengthy career, I'm not paying him. I get it. Look, the Ravens are going to have to pay him, right? Because it's hard to find quality quarterbacks. And when you got a guy who's won a league MVP in his first few years in the league, that's impressive. Not going to take that away from Lamar Jackson. I think the Ravens are between the rock and a hard place. And here's why. I think the Ravens, frankly, are probably thinking, do we want to sign a guy to a 10-year contract that we don't believe once the legs start going and he takes more hits can be an effective pocket passer? To move the football down the field. And I'm going to pay him $50 million a year to do what, right? But on the other hand, he's a fan favorite. And he is a very good quarterback because of his attributes that are still sharp because he's a young guy. I think they feel they have to pay him. How do you sell to a fan base? We're getting rid of a quarterback because we think in four years his legs are going to be diminished. And we don't think he's a good enough passer to to be able to kind of compromise. Like, it's not going to be a popular argument, right? Like, for a fan base that's accustomed to watching Lamar Jackson when they look around the league, and being a Jet fan, they've gone from one quarterback to the next, and they've never found their franchise quarterback, and they hope that Zach Wilson's going to break that streak. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. But a Raven fan at least knows, hey, we have consistency with Lamar Jackson. We know he's good. He can win us games. I don't care about what happens four or five years down the road. If he loses the ability to be as effective with his legs, can he win us games just throwing the football purely? They don't care. It's not their money. So if the Ravens were to let him go and try to make that argument to fans, it's not going to go over well. You'll have a minority of fans saying, yeah, I get it, and let's go find another quarterback. The majority will say, but we had a guy. Why get rid of him? So while I think the Ravens probably don't want to give him a long-term contract, like a Deshaun Watson type of contract, right, where it's fully guaranteed, what, eight years, like uh, 240 or whatever that, six years, 240, whatever the heck it is. Crazy amount of money, especially for his situation. We don't have to get into it. Patrick Mahomes contract. Like Lamar's going to want that kind of money, right? He's going to want to break the bank because that's the natural progression of money at that position. You don't have to be the best player to be the highest paid quarterback. It's you have to hit free agency at the right time. Was Matt Stafford the best quarterback in football when he got his record-breaking deal? No. You can make the argument that Patrick Mahomes was the best quarterback in the NFL when he got his record-breaking deal. You know, Deshaun Jackson, uh, Deshaun Watson, excuse me, had not played an entire season and he got a huge deal and he may miss another entire season plus. So Lamar Jackson's looking at it saying, okay, well, I'm not Patrick Mahomes. Not that he would say that. I'm going to say it for him. You're not Patrick Mahomes. So, you know, I mean, you don't deserve more money, but I do understand how it works at that position that you're the next in line. So you probably will get the kind of money 
So what is Justin Herbert worth when he hits free agency or the threat of free agency in a few years, right? You know, the Chargers are already starting to think, okay, what are we going to pay this guy? Because money's ballooning out of control at the quarterback position. I mean, quarterbacks are going to be eating 25% of your salary cap shortly, right? Hopefully he goes far away. Is that the Raider fan in you speaking, that he goes far away from the AFC West? Uh, yes, absolutely. Okay, that makes sense. I, I don't blame you. It's all about the Raiders. Yeah, but I'll tell you something, Art. I have to admit, I was not a Justin Herbert guy when he came out of Oregon. I really, I, I was not. I thought he was a, you know, I, I thought he was a product of a system. And I thought he was overdrafted by the Chargers when they took him, what, like seventh overall? And I am one that will readily admit I was wrong. I mean, he is, he's something else. Yeah, he is. I mean, we can't, we, we can't hold this guy down, man. No. He finds a no. way to win. It's like unbelievable. Listen, he's got it all. He's got a great arm. He's agile back there. He's smart quarterback, right? Between the he's good between the ears, so he makes a lot of right decisions. You know, he'll cut down on the picks, I think, as he gets a little older and the game slows down even more for him. Uh I'd like to see better coaching from you know, from from that team. But uh I honestly I think look, you know, he's proven pretty much everybody wrong. But then again, we use that art. Look, we do it all the time, right? Well, no one from that program has turned out to be a good quarterback, so why would he, right? Oregon had a bunch of guys that were talented college quarterbacks that never amounted to much in the NFL, right? Joey Harrington, guys like that, they stunk. They were terrible quarterbacks. Was it Dennis Dixon, guys like that? It's like the USC argument, right? Like, look at all the terrible quarterbacks out of USC. Okay, you have Carson Palmer, but everybody else, like Matt Barkley is nothing, right? Mark Sanchez was terrible. Matt Uh, Leinart. Matt Leiner was awful. You can make the argument the guy that never played there and was a seventh-round pick of the Patriots turned out to be one of the top guys. Matt Castle. And that tells you how unsuccessful USC quarterbacks have been in the NFL. And then you have, we have your boy, Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold, another terrible one. So you have, like, Carson Palmer and Matt Castle are the two best, right? And then you have a bunch of guys drafted high who haven't been very good. Ohio State quarterbacks, same thing, right? Look at all the record-setting Ohio State quarterbacks and what have they amounted to in the NFL? Not much. J.T. Miller, Braxton, uh, well, no, it was J.T. Yeah, maybe was it J.T. Miller? It was Braxton Miller, I think. Obviously, the late Dwayne Haskins was great in college, was struggling in the NFL when he passed away. Uh, not a lot of success. Uh, Terrell Pryor had more success as a receiver. So the bottom line is, you know, there is validity to say a guy coming from a program may be putting up big numbers just because of the program. But Justin Herbert certainly has taken that dynamic and he has changed my opinion on that because he came from a system at Oregon that produced incredible results in terms of statistics at the collegiate level, but no success at the NFL level. And he has been incredibly successful uh, his first couple years in the league. And I don't see that ending in Boy, the Chargers better start saving up some money to get themselves ready for that. Do want to thank Howard Beck, Bill Shaken, and Joe Person for hopping on the show. Again, I will be back on Thursday and Friday in for Rich. Tomorrow will be Brian Weber. Always fun sitting in the big seat. I'll be back with you on Thursday. Dan Schwartzman in for Rich Eisen on a Tuesday right here on the Rich Eisen Show.